You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. What's an ordinary day look like for you? Sleeping in a breakfast. You're a bit lucky if that's an ordinary day. For for me, that's a rather special and unusual day. (laughs) What about other people? What do ordinary days look like for you? Work? You wake up and the first words on your lips are, hurry up, get moving. Okay, I can relate a bit more to that one, Cindy, yes? Oh, it's, um, get up in your Okay, meandering through the day, getting up, going for a leisurely walk, having breakfast, oh, exercise walk, um, having breakfast, quiet time with God. That's actually how I picture heaven. (laughs) That's my fantasy about heaven. (laughs) One day I'll get there. (laughs) I wonder if you've ever had a day that started out ordinary, but by the end of it, it was no ordinary day. Have you ever had one of those sorts of days? You just wake up, it's an ordinary day, but by the end of it, it was a day that was very significant, momentous significance, a day like you've never had before or never will have again, a historic day. I can't help but think of maybe when people get engaged or something, that's probably one of those days, isn't it? A normal day when you get up, but by the end of the day, momentous kind of day, unimaginable. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, Moses, he's just having an ordinary day, isn't he? So we're continuing on in our series on on Exodus, and we're up to Exodus chapter 3. And Exodus, if you turn to Exodus chapter 3, you'll see it begins with Moses just having an ordinary day. And he's herding sheep. That's what he does. Uh, And he's looking for pasture, and perhaps he, he, he needs to go a bit further than he normally might on a usual day and he finds himself on the far side of, of the wilderness at, at a mountain and, and there's Moses and there's the sheep and the mountain and that's all, that's all that's there, Moses, sheep, mountain. But on this particular ordinary day, this was the day that Moses met God. Wow, that's no ordinary day is it? Perhaps you're having an ordinary day today. Maybe today will turn out to be extraordinary for you. There are two vital experiences for any human being to have, and many of them never have them. Some have one, but not the other. And and unless we have these experiences, we, we wonder, who am I? Why am I here? What's the point of everything? What am I going to do with my life? Where, where do I find meaning? How do I cope with the pressures and demands of life? How, how do I cope with these, these voices and these thoughts inside of me that, that seem to want to condemn me and harass me all the time? Those, those thoughts that tell me oh, I'm no good, I'm not valuable to anyone, I'll never be worthwhile. Without these two vital experiences, uh, humanity, you know, we, we drift. 
we flounder, we, we start to hate, we start to exploit, we, we waste our life, we wonder, we suffer, we strive, we get angry, we get helpless. Do you know what these two experiences are? Conversion and calling. Conversion and calling. And in Exodus chapter 3, Moses experiences both. And they were absolutely revolutionary for Moses. They were revolutionary for, for the, the Hebrew people. They were actually revolutionary for the entire world. Because you know what? Here today in 2019, we're still talking about his conversion. We're still talking about the conversion and calling of Moses. I bet he didn't think that would happen when he started his very ordinary day thousands of years ago, did he? And so to recap, we've been looking at Exodus. And so in chapter 1, we looked at the idea that there was a deliverer was needed for God's people. Chapter 2, we see a deliverer being prepared. And chapter 3 today, and sneaking into a bit of chapter 4, we are looking at a deliverer being called. So if you have a look at Exodus chapter 3, starting at verse 1, I'll, I'll read a few verses to you. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So it was just an ordinary day. Moses was going about his job as a shepherd, tending the sheep. He'd taken them out. They needed some, some pasture. But, but this was the day that marked the beginning of him placing his faith and trust in God rather than himself. And so previously for Moses, although you know, he, he saw himself as maybe being, about, uh, being able to bring about some deliverance from, for God's people, he did it in his own way, didn't he? He did it in his own strength, in his own sort of plan. If you remember from the previous chapter, he, he killed someone, he killed an Egyptian who was harassing the, the Hebrews. Uh, he tried to mediate a dispute between two Hebrew men and it basically all went um, pretty pear-shaped and he ended up doing a runner to a foreign place and he found himself alone and despairing and desperate and he's cut off from his people, he's cut off from his culture and he's feeling like a complete failure. But this was the day that marked the beginning of him placing his faith in and trusting God, not himself. This was his conversion. This was the day he made the big switch. Have you heard of the big switch on Channel 7? I think Sunrise, is that the show that does it? The big switch? So they, they negotiate discounted power deals. So they get a whole heap of people signing on. They say, right, power company, we've got you know, a million people who will switch to you if you offer us a really good deal. And it's, um, and it's, it's called the, the, the big switch. Have you ever tried switching energy providers? 
not too bad. It's not like banks. Have you ever tried switching banks? Hey? Oh, that was easy. I'll talk to you later about how you did it. Um, we, we often don't tend to want to switch. Okay. All right. Well, good. <laughs> um, often we don't like to switch things because it seems hard, doesn't it? You know, you've got your mortgage and you've got your this loan, you've got your credit cards and you've got half a dozen accounts and you've got all your direct debits coming out of this card and this account. And, and it seems difficult, doesn't it? It seems stressful. There's lots of unknowns. Yet once you've actually made the big switch, you think, why didn't I do this before? This is fantastic. I'm getting so much better a deal. Anyway, on this ordinary day, tending sheep, Moses isn't thinking about God at all. Maybe that's how you started your day. You woke up not thinking about God at all. But this is the day Moses makes the big switch. This is his day of conversion to God rather than... than, um, rather than gas, no, rather than himself, to God rather than himself. And so our conversion like Moses's comes when we have a direct encounter with God. You know, Moses's family, Moses' people have known God for a long time. And so if you have a look at verse 6 there, then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. There's a family history of relationship with God here. But Moses himself doesn't know God. He hasn't yet encountered the holy, transforming power of the living God. You know, he knows about this family God. He's heard about this family God, but he doesn't yet know this family God. And, you know, there are people here today, you you know about this God He's the God of your family, the God of your father, the God of your mother, the God of your grandparents. You know about this God, but you have not yet made the big switch. You have not yet made the the big switch. You're still converted to yourself. You're still your own power, your own energy, your own life source. You haven't yet made the change to God being your life source, God being your energy source, God being your power source. But you know what? One day God will come to you in his glory and his holiness and he will come to you and you will feel inexplicably drawn to him. There is something mysterious and something um, indescribable about the presence of God, isn't there? I I mean, it's hard to give words to that presence, isn't it? You, You can't help but think when you encounter God, I must find out more about you. You can't help but being inexplicably drawn to this presence that is the living holy God. Can, can you imagine Moses there that day, the bush burning, and he says, I, I, I must, I must go and find out more. What, what's this strange sight? What's going on? Can you imagine there on this mountain the, the holy stillness? This is God manifest on this mountain. Can you imagine the atmosphere, the, the, the presence, the, the holy um, atmosphere of God's fire, God physically there in front of Moses? Uh, in the Bible, we see this fire in many places, if you, if you just stop and think about it. At first, we see it in Genesis when God's making the covenant with his people. 
Um, we, we see it uh, later on in Exodus when God's leading his people out of Egypt through the wilderness, the form of a fire. Where in the New Testament do we see God's presence come in the form of a fire? Acts, Pentecost, don't we? How could you not want to come and experience more? How could you not want to come and experience more? For those today who have not yet converted to God, God called Moses by name to come to him and he calls you too. He calls you too. Verse 4, when Moses saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. God calls you by name. Every single person here this afternoon, God calls you by name. And he says, come to me. What is your answer? Moses' answer was, here I am. Here I am. Is that your answer too? You know, are you open? I'm open. I'm open, God. I'm interested, God. I'm not too sure I know all the answers here, but I'm open. I'm interested. I want to know more. I, I want to know who you are. I've heard about you. My family has talked about you. They've heard your call and promises, but I, I know I need to respond to your call and promises for myself too. He calls you by name. He says, come to me, come to me. You know, when we place our obedient trust in him, we become children of God. And, you know, something permanent and precious happens inside of us. There's, there's change, there's transformation. And, and no longer do we belong to the kingdom of darkness, you know, the, the evil one. We no longer belong to him. Death has no hold on us. Death is arrested, as we sung. And we now belong to a new energy provider. We've signed on with someone different. We, we, we have a relationship not with the evil one, not with sin, not with death, but with Jesus Christ himself. And, you know, this happens not because of any significant thing you do, but just because you respond to his call. He says, come, and we respond, here I am, Lord. He's calling you today. What's your answer? The burning flame that resides in the bush, illuminating but not consuming, it's an image of what happens when we say yes to God's call in us. When we are converted to him and make the big switch, he, he comes and resides in us, an eternal, ever-burning presence of, of light and life in us. He's not an impersonal, distant energy source that merely animates us, is he? He comes as one who is vital and who is personal. A God who lives in us intimately, who knows us that we might know him. And there is no greater thing that you could need or want than to be known by God and to know him. You know, when you make the big switch, his fire, his presence, his Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. And you are now mysteriously and wondrously filled with the divine fire of God. However, there's one key thing that needs dealing with before we can enter into his presence. It's our human sin and brokenness. Verse 5. 
Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. going to wait a moment for a few people down the back just to refocus. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. God is a holy God. He is a being like no other. He is, he is separate and he is distinct and he is unique from all other gods, all other beings. He's, you know, he's, a, he's a cut above. He's one of a kind. His way is not just better. He defines what better is. He defines what good is, what desirable is, what, what right is. You know, uh, Cadbury chocolate. Have a think about Cadbury chocolate for a moment. It's in all the shops at the moment, isn't it? So let's just say, for example, Cadbury chocolate is distinct and unique from all other chocolates. It's a cut above. Let's say it's one of a kind. It's not just better chocolate, it actually defines the standard by which all other chocolate is judged. Cadbury chocolate defines what good chocolate is, what desirable chocolate is, right? Anything that does not meet God's standards is not compatible with him. So God's holy presence is so strong and so significant, it it destroys or consumes or, or burns up anything that's not in alignment with him. Think about if you were to pour some some fresh water into the ocean. Imagine the ocean, cup of fresh water. You pour it in. What happens to the fresh water? consumed isn't it it's 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 taken up by the salt water the 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 ocean is so salty so big so so all-consuming that 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 whether you put a cup of water in or a liter of water or a gallon of water really any amount of water it's not going to change the ocean is it the fresh water will be taken up by the saltiness of the ocean and this is good news if you want to be like the ocean isn't it but it's scary and it's horrifying if you don't want to be salt water. Verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He was afraid to look at God. You know, the revealing of God as being so much greater than we are, it's terrifying. We, we just want to hide in fear and shame when we realize how far short we fall. When we realize that you know, we're selfish and we're broken and we're lost and we're hopeless and we're insignificant and we're angry and we're full of hate and bitterness. When we're full of all those things, we want to run as far as we can from God. And many people spend their lives doing that, running from God, distracting themselves from God, keeping their distance. 
and whether it's using drugs or alcohol, whether it's sex or relationships or parties or work or, or money or entertainment or projects or activities or friends, they're all things that people use to hide from God. You know, when we realise that we are like those, those cheap reject shop Easter eggs, right, rather than the premium Cadbury Easter eggs, it's horrifying. If you've never tasted a Cadbury Easter egg, you'd probably think that the reject shop Easter eggs are okay, wouldn't you? But when you get a taste of the real thing, the imitation is quite repulsive. When you realise that you are that cheap chocolate egg, a poor imitation of the real thing, it's sickening. You just want to hide your face from God and everyone. Have you experienced that? Have you ever experienced that? Why does God tell Moses to take his sandals off? Seems a bit odd, don't you think? Moses, get your smelly thongs off. I'd imagine a shepherd's sandals are quite smelly and revolting indeed. Does anyone here have a strict no shoes in the house policy? No one. <laughs> Does anyone here wish their kids would put their shoes in a designated place in the house? Or is that just... It's me. Uh, Tim Mackey, uh, on a podcast, he tells a story. As a child, he would come home and take his shoes off and place them on the kitchen bench where his mum's preparing dinner. And um, a, a kitchen bench is, is set apart, isn't it, for making food. It has a special, distinct, unique, separate purpose. Um, a different purpose to the floor or the shoe rack, doesn't it? So you could say that the kitchen bench is holy in a sense, couldn't you? It's set apart. What do you think his, his mum would say when he, he put his shoes on the kitchen bench? Take those shoes off. You know, those dirty shoes that have been walking around in the, the filth and the muck of the world... Don't put them on my bench. My bench is set apart for cooking. I think a lot could be said or guessed about why God tells Moses to take his sandals off to be able to approach him. But I think the point that it makes for us is this. God makes a way. God makes a way for us to be able to remove all that sinful stuff that offends him so that we can approach him so that we can come near to him and into his holy presence. And of course, what way did God make for us to approach him and come into his holy presence? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. I take off your, your smelly, your dirty old nature your sin nature, the broken and corrupted nature. I take it off so that you can come near God. Do you need Jesus to take off your old sin nature? That nature that's like a prison, like a cage, like a heavy load, 
that old nature that you know is not what God has planned for you, that, that old nature that is so offensive to, to you and to others and to God. Now, Jesus will remove that old nature. Do you know that? Is that true? Moses is converted. God calls him by name. He, he makes a way for him to come into his presence. And it's in his presence, it's in the presence of God that Moses is commissioned and called into God's service. Verse 7 says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 10, So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God is sending Moses to Pharaoh to fight against evil and injustice. But before doing so, before he goes, Moses is drawn into the presence of God. A commentary that I've been looking at on Exodus, um, in it, Alec Moiter says this. He says, before we go out, we must come in. The Lord has a training school. He says, come into my presence. Satan will, of course, seek to reverse that procedure, reminding us all the time of the needs of the world and of the desperate necessity to get on with the work. The Lord, however, is saying... Just wait a bit. I'm not in your sort of hurry. Come and linger in my presence. Come and linger in my presence. Oh, we get so busy, don't we? We get so frantic with all the things that need doing, all the tasks, all the jobs, all the people that we need to see or talk to. God just says, stop. Be still. Just linger in my presence, just a moment longer. Just be with me. It's where our true strength and power and life is found. Not in our doing, not in our striving, not in our activity. Just in our inactivity, in our stillness, in our, our time with God. I'm as guilty as anyone of that. Service begins in the presence of the Lord, spending time alone with God. Do you spend quiet time alone with God? God will not call you into service in his kingdom unless you are adequately prepared. And that preparation is being able to sit and be in his presence. You must know him before you can act on his behalf. Of course, it's in that time alone with God that Moses unloads all of his hang-ups and insecurities. It's that one-to-one time with God that enables us to be honest with him. Not that he doesn't already know, of course. You can't expect any relationship in your life to thrive without time spent with that person, can you? And our relationship with God, it is no different. Do you bring your shortcomings to him? Or do you only come to him with your, I've got this together, God. 
Moses brings his real self. No facades of being a super believer for Moses. He doesn't fake faith. He's very real and he is very broken. Moses has some pretty chronic insecurities here. I tell you what, I can relate to Moses. I've done some time with God, letting him know all the reasons why I'm not the person he should be asking to do something. Moses needs a bit of reassuring and a bit of hand-holding. And I think we often do too, don't we? If we're honest. Verse 11, Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? We've got here the former prince of Egypt, now shepherd of Midian, and he has this deep sense of personal inadequacy. He grew up in the house of Pharaoh, but he says, who am I? He struggles with his identity. Who am I? What do I have to offer? Why should you choose me, God? I'm not capable. I'm just a shepherd. I messed up big time last time I tried to rescue your people. Do you ever struggle with your identity? Who am I? Who has God made me to be? What, what do I have to offer this world? Why should God choose me? I'm not capable. I messed up last time I tried. Has, has God ever asked you to do something and your, your response to God was, you've picked the wrong person, God? So Moses says, I'm inadequate. Next, Moses says, I'm not just inadequate, I'm ignorant. Verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? So Moses says, you know, I I don't know enough to do this job, God. I'm lacking the knowledge. I, I, I won't be able to answer their questions. I can't tell you how many times, the confession time here, I can't tell you how many times I've said to God, I don't know enough for this pastoring role. I don't have enough knowledge for this. How will I answer people's questions? Will, will, the, will the things I teach people, will these sermons, will, will, will my leading, will it, will it be up to scratch? Do I know you well enough, Lord? What will I say? Do you ever think similar things? You know, when you're, you're witness to a friend, you know, what will I say? When you're at work or when you're serving at church or when you're being a parent, like, like suppose I'm asked something and I can't answer, what, what will I say? Moses says, God, I'm, I'm inadequate. I'm ignorant. And he says, God, I'm afraid. Chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered, well, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? What if they don't believe me, Moses says? What if they don't follow me? What if they think I'm making all of this up? What if they think I'm a weirdo or a loser? Moses is fearful of being rejected. I think that's something we've all experienced, hasn't it? The fear of being rejected, whether it's 
leading some sort of ministry, whether it's leading someone to faith in Jesus, whether it's taking a stand on an issue in society, whether it's being open with your friends about your faith and your beliefs. We often struggle with this idea of being rejected. Sometimes it's just the thought of being rejected that's enough to paralyse us, isn't it? Not even the reality of being rejected. And it's this sort of fear that, that hinders us and cripples God's work in and through us more than anything else. Fear is kryptonite. Fear is crippling. So Moses says, I'm inadequate, I'm ignorant, I'm afraid, and you know what? I'm incapable. <laughs> Verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Who here has ever said no to God because you didn't believe you had the natural capacity to do what he was asking you to do? And I'm seeing smiles right around the room. You said, I'm not gifted for this. I don't have the capacity to do this, Lord. To use myself as a scapegoat again, I, I don't feel like I have the natural capacity to lead worship once a month. I've never been a singer. I haven't had training. I don't come from a family line of gifted vocalists. I, I, I have to work hard to sing in key. But for now, it seems like God is asking me to do it unless someone were to come after the service and volunteer. If so, that, you know, here I am, <laughs> come see me. I think, yeah, every month when I lead worship, I'm tempted to say to God, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been a gifted singer, neither in the past nor now when you have spoken to your servant. I am strained of voice and tongue. Sometimes I do say that. But he makes me do it anyway. <laughs> I wonder what would change in the local church and in our towns if people stopped worrying so much about their giftings and their capacity. Stop worrying about that stuff and just start listening to God's call on your life. Just do it. If he's called you, just say yes. Don't overthink it. Probably my favourite part of Exodus so far is is in verse 13. So, so Moses here is saying, I'm inadequate, I'm ignorant, I'm afraid, I'm incapable. And, and finally he says to God, I'm your servant, but send someone else. I'm unwilling. Verse 13, Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. He's very polite, isn't he? Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Have you ever said that? Hallelujah, here I am, Lord. Send someone else. What does God do with Moses and our inadequacies, ignorances, fears, incapacity and unwillingness? What does he do? What does God do? Well, he gets us to take our gaze off ourselves and onto him. That's what he does. On to God who is more than capable, more than able and more than adequate. So when God says, when Moses says, who am I to go to Pharaoh? God says in verse 12, I will be with you. When Moses says, well, what will I tell them? God says, verse 13 to 15, he says, tell them I am 
has sent you. And when Moses says, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And God says in in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, what's that there in your hand? And then he, he proceeds to show Moses a series of supernatural signs that would demonstrate God's authority and presence with him. When Moses says, I'm not eloquent, God says, I will help you you speak and I will teach you what to say. Chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Moses still doesn't get it. You know, seriously, I don't feel quite so bad about my own faltering attempts at service when I read this stuff. And this stuff should encourage you. This stuff should encourage you. Seriously, if God is going to use Moses to deliver his people, to split the Red Sea, and then to, you know, bring the Ten Commandments that we're all still talking about in our modern society today, if God is going to do all of that through this fellow Moses, um, I think God can handle your questions. I think God can handle your concerns. I think God can handle your insecurities, don't you? Yeah. Moses asks for someone else to be sent. And God says, well, fine, but you're not getting out of it that easily, Moses. I'll send someone else, but not instead of you. I'll send someone alongside of you. So I'll send your brother. And if you, if you were to look at verse 14 to 17, you, you see that conversation there. Uh, if you need someone to hold your hand that badly, well, okay, but just for goodness sake, take your stuff and get moving, get going. It's God's capacity, not ours, that enables us to do what he calls us to do. Serve where he calls us to serve. Be the people he wants us to be. And it's never our own source of strength or our skills or our own uh, ability, is it? When we say yes to Jesus, it means we are looking to him as our source, as our provision, uh, as all that we need in this world. And when we struggle, it's because we're looking at ourselves. A self-reliant attitude says, I can, therefore I will. That was Moses in chapter 2. A self-reliant attitude says, I can, therefore I will. Moses in in chapter 3 and 4, though, is sort of a, a faithless attitude. So a faithless attitude says, I can't, therefore I won't. I can't, therefore I won't. Obedient faith. Obedient faith, though, says, I can't, but he can, therefore I will. I can't, but God can, therefore I will. And as we we journey through the rest of Exodus, we'll see that obedient faith slowly starting to take place for Moses It's interesting here, God didn't promise to take away any of Moses' insecurities or issues or hang-ups. He didn't say, don't worry, it's all going to be cruisy and easy. You know the story, you're fairly familiar with the story, aren't you? It wasn't cruisy and it wasn't easy, was it? God simply promised to be with Moses. Do you know what sign God promised to Moses that, that he would be with him? chapter 3 verse 12 and God said I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt you will worship God on this mountain (laughs) now I love that you'll only really know for sure that I'm with you after it's all happened (laughs) 
you've got to do it first. And then you'll find out that, yeah, I, I, I was with you all along. This was me. I was here. I've done what I've promised to do. But you're only going to find that out after the event. <laughs> uh, you've got to trust me in the process first. Trust that I have revealed myself to you. And we have to do that, don't we? We have to trust that it is God's quiet, still voice that we hear. And, and so we take action, um, not really having any proof that God is behind it until afterwards. Have you experienced that? Where you've got to step out in obedient faith and you don't know if it really is God. You, you, you're sensing it is, you're feeling it is, you're trusting it is. But you don't know until it's all finished, all said and done, that it actually was. When you make the big switch to following Jesus instead of the, yourself or instead of the world, he doesn't promise everything will be easy and simple. He does promise to be with you, to be all that you need in any situation you face. Chapter 3, verse 13 to 14 Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you to me. Moses wants to know who God is and what his name is. And of course, in Bible times, you, your name sort of revealed a lot about your character and your story and who you were. So he's asking, well, who are you, God? What is your name? God says, I am who I am. Or you could translate that as, I will be what I will be. That's a bit strange to our ears, isn't it? It's, a, it's, it's an, an invasive, elusive sort of statement, isn't it? Seems very unspecific somehow. It's kind of hard to pin down what God is saying. But that's the point. That's the point. This God who is revealing himself is bigger than any description or any name could uh, contain. God is saying, I am the active, the essential ingredient in all situations. I am the supply of life. I am the, the giver of life. I am life. I am the divine sufficiency for all things. I am the active ingredient in all situations. I am present. I am active. And I am all you need. What Moses lacks, God will be. What we lack, God will be. He is present, he's active to supply all that you need to live life, to follow Jesus, to outwork his call, to be a great mum or a great dad, to get a job, to get through school, to make friends, to experience peace in your thoughts and to face each day when it seems impossible or difficult. Philippians 4, 19 says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Is God calling you by name today? Have you responded to him? Have you said, yes, Jesus, come and live in me? Like that burning fire lived in that bush. Come and burn away all that is wrong and all that is broken in my life. I want to know you, holy God. Well, perhaps your prayer is, you know, these things, Lord, you're asking me to do, these, these, um, these people you're asking me to forgive or these people you're asking me to serve or, or love or that, that job or that role you've called me to, Lord, 
I just come to you with all my shortcomings, all my insecurities, and I just bring them to you, Lord. And Lord, you know, I know that what I lack, you will be. I can't, but you can, therefore I will. Here I am. Send me. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, Lord God, you have entered into this world not to be distant or aloof or uh, separate from us, but you have entered into this world that, that we might know you and be known by you. And we acknowledge that we've got a whole sea of stuff and, and garbage and insecurities and fears and, and anger and hopelessness and, and thoughts that just aren't in line with, with what you would have for us as human beings, as your children. We just confess all of these insecurities, all of these hang-ups, all of this, this, this sin and this brokenness, and, and we lay it at the cross before you. You know, we can't deal with this stuff, but we know that you can. And Lord God Almighty, would you come and burn in us by your Holy Spirit like that bush thousands of years ago that Moses saw. Come and be our life source, Jesus. We say yes to you. We want you to live in us. We want you to make us new people who can love like you and think like you and live like you and serve like you. We, we hear you calling our name this afternoon, Jesus, and we say yes. And Lord, our, our desire is not to shy away from the things you have for us in this world but that we would just trust your call upon our life and those things that, that you are, are prompting us to do, the, the, um, the roles that you are placing in our hearts to take on. Even though we're not sure, we trust you, Lord, and we will step out in obedient faith. Lord, we know that we can't, but you can. And we just confess our need for you this afternoon. May we be a people who trust in you and look to you for everything in life. May, may our days not be ordinary days, Lord, but may they be days of encounter with you. Burn brightly in us, holy, holy Lord Almighty. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you want to come and talk to me about anything in that message, whether it's, you know, you've heard his, 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 him calling your name for the first time today, or maybe you, you've heard him calling you to some sort of specific task or role or thing that you just want to get some prayer about, or you want to talk to someone about, I want to hear from you, okay? Tell someone, uh, talk to someone, get some prayer. We'd love to journey with you in that, and... Um, and just stand, stand with you in those things that God is calling you to do and be.